Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Providence Money Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Isaac, Associate Advisor at Providence. Join with me today is Chison, who is here again to discuss about Providence portfolio construction. Hi Chison. Hi Isaac. One crucial role that Providence investment team does is to construct portfolios for our firm's investment solutions. So could you briefly explain what portfolio construction entails? Right. Uh, portfolio construction at Provident is uh, basically helping the client uh, asset allocate their capital into uh, a set of uh, different asset classes, uh, typically here stocks and bonds, uh, that will be uh, overseen by Provident and in a mix that will help them uh, achieve their life goals, their wealth plans, without taking on a risk that they are uncomfortable with. So we would be, for example, uh, looking at, uh, say, allocating a certain percentage of the client's capital to stocks, a certain percentage to bonds based on uh, certain uh, expected returns that we think are reasonable for the asset class. And then uh, giving the client a mix that will not give them uh, too much volatility such that they will not be able to uh, sleep comfortably while <laughs> investing in that portfolio. Yeah. So let's talk about fund managers. So at Provident, we mainly use Dimensional and BlackRock funds and Vanguard ETFs to construct our portfolios. So could you explain the rationale on why we use these fund managers? Uh, yeah, great question. So that's the next level of um, portfolio constructions after you decide the asset classes. Then you have to decide how to implement uh, your exposure in those asset classes. And at Provident, uh, we're not fund managers. So we work with the asset managers um, who will be investing the money directly uh, to select the appropriate funds to use to get the exposure that we want to those asset classes. Uh, yes, as you mentioned, we um, work with uh, three managers currently. Uh, we use um, dimensional funds uh, for a large part of our portfolio. Um, for index exposure, we use um, iShares or BlackRock, and then we use Vanguard uh, also. Uh, for index exposure. We actually do use uh, some other managers for smaller exposure that is also um, index-based uh, for very specific exposure such as uh, Lion Global and also uh, Nickel Asset Management. Yeah, we use certain uh, index strategies that they run also. So as you can see, most of our focus on managers are either um, extremely systematic, two-dimensional, or index. Right, so you mentioned that dimensional is a systematic fund manager. So why do we choose dimensional specifically to do the systematic tilting towards value, small cap, and profitability factors? Yeah, so a few things that we consider. First of all, I mean, we go back to our investment uh, philosophy and framework. I mean, so first of all, yes, they invest in stocks and bonds. So from an economic 
contribution standpoint what they're investing in uh, makes sense and the next one is really uh, empirical evidence which is um, where dimensional is uh, very strong at so first of all uh, when you look at the data empirically it does show that there is a value premium over time uh, if you invested in value stocks versus growth stocks and dimensional defines value stocks uh, through the price book that they feel that that's the best metric to determine whether a stock is value or growth, uh, you would get a slightly higher return over time. And similarly, for investing in smaller companies uh, versus large companies, you would get a slightly higher return over time. And so uh, what Dimensional has uh, done well is that they have created uh, a solid uh, framework and implementation that allows them to uh, create portfolios that are extremely diversified but yet uh, have run specific tilts towards these premiums or these uh, factors so to speak that um, allow you to uh, get some exposure without losing the you know overall diversification of the portfolio and they are able to do this in a manner that is very cost effective their funds are not uh, high priced they are very competitive with uh, index funds so uh, from this standpoint we felt that uh, working with dimensional does provide our clients a good investment experience and um, i think that was highlighted in the last couple of years in fact when we first started with them uh, the portfolio slightly underperformed the market uh, perform or underperform our index portfolios because uh, value stocks and small cap stocks were not doing so well. Uh, if you recall back uh, to um, prior to COVID, you know, it was the large tech stocks that were doing uh, extremely well. But since late 2020, uh, we saw value stocks uh, have a turnaround and catch up. And in the last few years, uh, even in 2022, we saw a strong outperformance from uh, the value and small cap tilts that we had uh, with Dimensional. So um, they've been consistent and shown that, you know, they are doing what they say they will do. And that's why we are also comfortable using them for our equity strategies. Right. So behind the scenes, actually, the investment team do a lot of monitoring of this, whether the fund managers are actually sticking to their mandate, uh, whether they are capturing the value premium. Um, so so far, based on your team's uh, analysis, do you, you know has Dimensional effectively captured the small cap and value premium? Uh, yes, they have. Um, well, you can see from the fact that during the years that uh, growth stocks did better, they were underperforming. So we know that they were in uh, in value and small caps during that time. They were not, you know, chasing growth stocks. Uh, they may be underperforming, but they are doing periods. their jobs. Yeah, I mean. They, so you know that a manager is doing what they say they'll do when uh, they underperform when their strategy is supposed to, you know. But uh, during times when value did well, which is critical, right, they, they did outperform. So starting uh, August 2020, we started to see value stocks uh, outperform. And um, from that period on, we could see our uh, positions outperform, in particular this uh, the targeted value fund, which is a small cap deep value fund that Dimensional have that we allocate a small part of our uh, portfolio to. Uh, I mean, it's hugely volatile, but in the last uh, 
two years, it has delivered extremely big outperformance versus large caps. Chaisen, are there any alternatives to dimensional uh, when it comes to systematically tilting towards factors of higher expected returns? Uh, yeah, there are definitely alternatives. Uh, or, or, or I would put it as there are definitely other managers that run similar strategies that are looking to uh, capture uh, factor returns. Uh, there are other managers like uh, AQR, um, Avantis, uh, even BlackRock uh, and uh, other large managers uh, that traditionally run index funds or uh, actively manage funds. They also have uh, systematic uh, smart beta strategies, if you would call it like something like that. Yeah, they do have all these strategies. So there are plenty of different managers out there that uh, run similar strategies. Uh, and we do uh, are always on the lookout for uh, alternatives or, or rather or always on the lookout to see uh, which manager is doing a good job at running such strategies and consider them for our portfolios. But um, they, then it comes down to the next uh, implementation and practical considerations. Uh, a lot of these managers uh, don't have their strategies uh, available for retail in Singapore. And so that makes it uh, more challenging for us to implement it uh, in our model portfolios for clients. Right, so that's our investment framework in action in a sense. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, so let's dive deeper into equities and bonds. Uh, let's start with equities first. So in our previous episode, you shared that we globally diversify our portfolios uh, and we do so by sticking close to market cap weighting of global stock uh, indexes for the equity components of our portfolio. So that is as of today around 60% in the US, 30% in developed X US and 10% emerging. So could you briefly explain what market cap weighting means uh, in a global sense and why do we weight it as so? Okay, thanks for that question, Isaac. So what market cap weighting means, uh, well, market capitalization is basically the value of a company. So it's like number of stocks times the stock price that will give you the market capitalization of a company. Right. So market cap weighting for a country, which just means all the companies on that stock market added together, there'll be the market cap of the country's stock market. So market cap weighting globally just means that, you know, you follow the sizes of the various countries' uh, stock markets, essentially, and then you just weight them accordingly. And uh, the US by far is one of the largest, is the, is the largest capital market in the world. So that's why they have such a huge weight. And uh, yes, actually emerging markets uh, is, a bit, is a bit more interesting because um, the index providers, uh, actually China is a huge, uh, uh, onshore, the companies in China actually have a very large market cap also. But I think because, uh, it's not so easy for uh, foreign investors to access. That's why they only consider the sort of offshore capitalization of the company. So emerging markets is a smaller allocation to sort of a globally diversified portfolio. However, within the emerging market space, China is definitely a very, very large allocation. Right. And uh, so why do we do use market cap weighting? Like, uh, let's say someone wants to invest and he has 100% in US equities. 
Um, so to get international diversification, maybe he'll put, oh, maybe uh, should I put 20%? Should I put 40% into uh, international stocks? Um, why do we believe that we should stick to what the market cap of the global stock market is when it comes to diversification? Uh, well, market cap is just an easy way to just sort of gauge where um, the market is pricing every single stock market at. So, I mean, if a different another country were to, you know, suddenly become the largest capital market in the world, that would mean that that's where uh, all the um, capital flows are going. So, it, it also just uh, is a factor of liquidity because the larger the market capitalization you have, the more liquid that market is. So, uh, it would be easier to have that as the bigger weight in your exposure in your portfolio because you don't want to have 100% of your portfolio in a very illiquid market then that would be uh, very challenging if you anything were to happen and you needed to uh, either access that liquidity or to make adjustments to your portfolio so we think that um, the market capitalization is a function of sort of the market price for liquidity and that's just an easy way to uh, allocate your portfolio and diversify your portfolio. Right, so we trust market prices to do the global diversification for us in that sense. You can think of it like that, yeah. yes. Right, so for all our portfolios, no matter what currency it is denominated in, it is left Forex unhatched. So for example, though a portfolio may be denominated in SGD, its underlying holdings are held in the stock's local currency. So. Could you first briefly explain what Forex hedge and Forex unhedged means? And why do we leave equities Forex unhedged? Yeah, good question. Well, uh, hedging for FX exposure basically just means that if you were to say hold um, your base currency is Singapore dollars and you were to hold uh, a company that's uh, listed in the US in US dollars, um, you would be hedging that forex exposure, I guess, buying uh, forward contracts or sort of futures contracts to make sure that whatever happens, the value of your Singapore dollars that you invested today in US dollars wouldn't change, right? However far in the future you, you, you are trying to invest for. So that's um, uh, sort of FX hedging in a nutshell. So why we don't leave it, uh, why we, do we leave it unhedged, sorry? Uh, because hedging, first of all, there's a cost to hedging. There's a cost to hedging uh, FX exposure, just as there is uh, a cost to hedging any kind of uh, position. And secondly, um, the volatility of the equity market or equity returns uh, is far larger than the volatility of FX. So uh, over time, your the return from your equity will far outstrip whatever FX movements that you have in the portfolio. So there is uh, not much value to be gained from uh, hedging the FX in the portfolio. Also, our portfolio is so diversified across the entire globe that if you were to hedge every single uh, currency back to Singapore dollars, you'd be running fairly large hedging costs. And that is also not very uh, practical uh, for the portfolio as a lot of your returns will be eaten up just hedging the currency. So um, that's the reason why we are okay with you know uh, the equity positions in a portfolio being unhedged. Right. So in the event that a country's 
currency plummets against other major currency. So, for example, um, the GBP uh, pounds uh, after Brexit. So, how would an unhedged portfolio behave? If let's say I you know I buy a fund that is um, denominated in GBP, and the currency plummets against let's say the US dollar, so how would the portfolio behave in that way? Uh, yeah, in that situation, that portfolio would look like it's making big gains in uh, pounds in GBP because uh, the currency that the fund is reporting in is GBP. But if it's holding uh, a lot of stocks that are denominated in US dollars, uh, if nothing moves, right, the currency gain would be very big and they would be looking at uh, good returns in in GBP. But of course, when you translate that into US dollars or into um, another currency, uh, it wouldn't the gains wouldn't look so big. I mean, they would just look more normal, I guess. <laughs> yeah, because uh, you are taking out the currency movement from that uh, return. Okay, moving on to bonds. So what is our view on bonds when it comes to portfolio construction? And in contrast to equities, why do we hedge it to the currency that is invested in? Yeah, so for fixed income or bonds, we focus uh, more on lower volatility and on uh, certainty. We use bonds in our portfolios to stabilize the portfolio in times of uh, market, or rather equity market stress. Uh, we so we don't want the bond portion to be too volatile. So we would sort of prioritize uh, uh, safety or quality over yield. So we won't be uh, going into high yield. We won't be uh, buying you know, large positions in like triple B bonds. Now we would prefer to have uh, at least a reasonable allocation to uh, A and above and also um, we uh, make sure that we uh, also have a certain focus on uh, managing the duration. We don't want the duration of the fixed income to be too high so that uh, should yields move in higher, we, we uh, minimize the capital or rather the mark-to-market uh, movement of the fixed income in the portfolio because um, there's already enough volatility in equity. So... Uh, we want to try and use fixed income to reduce the volatility of the portfolio so that clients can uh, stay invested and not uh, panic if markets fall. And uh, to the second part of your question on the hedging, uh, fixed income volatility is lower than FX volatility. So uh, it makes sense to ensure that uh, your fixed income is hedged back to the currency that you are investing in because if not, uh, you can see an entire year's or even more worth of uh, returns wiped out by movements in uh, the FX. So uh, it is important to hedge your uh, fixed income back to the currency that you're investing in. Right, so Chaisen, just now you mentioned about duration. So why is the duration of the bond important when it comes to investing in bonds in our portfolios? The duration uh, very simply explained is basically how much the price of a bond will move when interest rates go up or down by 1%. So 
if your duration is sort of high and interest rates move up or down, the price of your bond will move up or down by a lot. And uh, in the, for example, in 2022, when interest rates went up, that meant that uh, bonds, longer term bonds, which have a higher duration, uh, basically fell a lot more um, in a mark to market basis. So that adds a lot more volatility to the portfolio because um, you would suddenly be looking at uh, big sort of drawdowns in also the, not just your equity but also the fixed income portion of your portfolio and that's something we try to minimize because we uh, want clients to be able to uh, stay invested long term to capture the asset class returns so if say clients saw big drawdowns in their portfolios and they really decided that they they can't uh, sorry, handle the volatility and um, sell their investments that would mean that like right now when markets are up and bonds have recovered uh, I think bonds are up about three plus percent so far this year so you know the client if they were you know unable to stay invested and they were they had to sell like say last year late last year then they wouldn't be having a very good experience because they would be also be missing out on the recovery so we're gonna try and minimize that okay so prior to 2022 i remember within the industry a lot of people were uh, going for either lower credit rating or longer duration to squeeze out any form of yield i mean at that point in time yields were close to zero but Providence stuck to shorter duration bonds even when interest rates were rock bottom at least prior to 2022. So what gave you that conviction to maintain uh, Providence shorter duration bond funds for lower risk portfolios despite going through an extended period of really minimal yields? Like why do you stick to keeping it to a short duration bond? I guess, yeah, we can fall back on Providence's uh, philosophy of sufficiency for uh, life planning. We were focused really on the objective of uh, reducing the volatility in the portfolio to fixed income rather than chasing uh, higher returns and yield. And we used uh, the equity exposure in our portfolios to capture that uh, or rather to get that return. So that allows us to uh, also uh, tilt the portfolios to the small caps and value which do add a little more volatility to the equity part of the portfolio which is why we also want to make sure that the fixed income is lower volatility so yeah for those reasons we were good with uh, staying in short-term bonds even though yields were low you get a lot of questions from clients asking i Tyson, why are we still sticking to this you know it's it's giving us a uh, very low yields and um if let's say we get a 10-year bond, it's yielding at least 2%. So how do you explain to clients? Yes, we definitely got questions from clients about you know why we are investing in these bond funds and the yield is so low and why, why don't we do something else. But I think we always go back to the client and explain, yeah, we can invest in something that would give you a high return but and show them the scenario, but this would entail a higher risk. And are you okay if you know the your portfolio falls this much and most of the times you know the clients would after that understand that uh, it's not such a good idea to invest in something that gives a, a higher return on paper because if things go the other way then 
they wouldn't feel comfortable at all. Right. Okay. So thank you so much, Tyson, for your time today, and thank you for your insights. Um, it's really eye opening to see how, uh, Providence framework, your investment framework, really informs even the portfolio construction every step of the way. That's all for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed our discussion on how Provident constructs our portfolio. If you like this episode, please follow our podcast and follow us on social media for similar contents. As always, thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. All analysis, views, or opinions from interviews, recommendations, and other information broadcasted, broadcasted, or published herein are provided for general information purposes only. Information expressed does not take into account any specific situation, particular needs or objectives and should not be construed as specific advice or a recommendation. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal or tax professional before taking any action. Provident Limited does not accept any liability for any loss whatsoever arising from any of use of the information broadcasted, broadcasted or published herein. All contents and information contained herein may not be copied or reproduced in whole or in part by any means without prior written consent of Provident Limited.